This evening, we spend a lot of time on small masses of land surrounded by water. Where in Hawaii, as fire rains from the sky, we're off to Hong Kong for some interracial and racially dubious romance, and we travel back in time to the 1940s Saturday mornings talking about one young girl's first ever experience of the silver screen. Welcome to They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. Welcome to your Friday evening night of the movies. I am Tosin, your spiffingly dressed usher, taking you through the darkened cinema that is our show today. My fellow cinema staff are Popcorn Seller Joe. Hello, I'm just checking that you were wearing a shirt. You are spiffingly dressed. <laughs> I am definitely spiffingly dressed today. I actually made an effort, washed behind my ears and everything. I could tell. Yeah, cool. We have Sharon, who stamped your ticket as you came in. Hello, Sharon. Hello. <laughs> And a wizened projectionist who's seen it all before, Sean. Hello there. <laughs> yes, uh, we will be taking you through our roster of old movies, movies that were made before 1980s because as the show is uh, named, they don't make them like they used to. And we will choose a couple of them. We'll go into the hospital where somebody is going to choose a film as well. And we shall run it off with a film that has been, well, wasn't entirely made, but at least was partly filmed on the island in a in a feature called Isle of Movies. And also this week, after we missed the first clue last week, Joe, we have got a t- clue, we have got a, what's the word? A quiz. quiz of, we do have a quiz. <laughs> if, if, if you're, you know, game, if you're up for it, if you think you can handle it. Oh, I think I can handle a quiz. I think I can handle a quiz. And with this quiz, we will explain it later, but do feel free to play along wherever it is you are listening to this show. Right, so... We usually start off by picking a film that we think is a bona fide classic and we think everybody should go watch this film. This week, doing our pick for us is The Popcorn Seller, Joe. Hello. So, right. Joe, what have you got for us this week? This is a film which I I think it may mean more to me than many others, but there's no denying that it's a, a hopelessly romantic, a gorgeous, old Hollywood-style uh, romance. It's, it's Love is a Many Splendid Thing from 1955. Ah, is that the cue for a song? I think that is the cue for a song. <laughs> I, th- I think I think we might just have to do that. What song could it possibly be? I have absolutely no idea. I, I have, but but I'll tell you what. You know the whole lush romantic thing you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, this might make some people get some longings in bits of their bodies. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Is a many splendid thing. Ah, oh, Matt Monroe. He he almost defines dulcet tones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was yeah. a big rival to Frank. Well, Frank Sinatra loved him, you know. Thought he was brilliant. <laughs> well, yeah, was no. excellent. Yeah, because he, he Matt Monroe was British, right? He was British. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. British bus driver. I Will believe. <laughs> was he? Yeah, I think he was a bus driver, something like that. But just. Did well, really well. Well, a bus driver, bus driver. He met Simon Cowell, and the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the thing is, like, actually, the first time I ever heard Matt Monroe sing what well, song by him was from Russia with I was, Love. Oh, I was going to guess that one. Yeah, I figured yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, from Russia. He with did Born yeah. Free as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did do Born yeah. Free. Yeah, he just has one of those sort of voices that you really don't hear anymore, and it just puts you straight into this sort of romantic landscape. Mm. So, Joe. Does Matt Monroe do the film justice? Does he like? Does he paint a picture of this romantic landscape that we've just been plonked into? Uh, it doesn't. It's not what I think about when I think of the film. <laughs> uh, seriously, I mean, it's it's a lovely song and it's it's sort of woven into the score. It's a beautiful score, so the theme's there. But the song itself is just like an, an added bonus. It's not really. Um, it's not 
part of what I associate with the movie, which is odd. But I think that's probably why I've chosen the film because the film itself is, is you know, it seems just really special to me. But one thing I really remember about that doesn't that open up? Doesn't the film open up with that song and it's like a big cinema scope? It's a beautiful, wide beautiful opening, yeah, big, gorgeous, gorgeous shot, yeah, really colourful. That's, that really sticks in my mind. The opening was like, whoa, yep. mm. yeah, drags you in, drags you in, and that's you know you're watching a, a film from the fifties where they wanted to dazzle you with yeah. scope and with, with just the scale of a romance, mm. scale of a romance. Who'd have thought such a thing? Okay, yeah. so quick synopsis. What's the story about? Okay, so uh, the fact that it's uh, set in China, mainly Hong Kong, uh, makes uh, draws me to it immediately. And the fact that it's about a romance between a, a Western chap and an Asian, uh, well, supposedly Asian lady played, played, by, <laughs> played by Jennifer Jones. Um, who? What? Was, well, to be fair. What if, dynasty is that name from? Uh, what, Jennifer Jones? <laughs> I have no idea. It's not, it's not a Han, Han, I can't, I don't think. You know, she was who she's, uh, she was married to at the time. I think she was about 96 or something when she died. Yeah. <laughs> oh, when she died, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she lived a long time. I think it wasn't long ago. So, so who was she married to when she, when she made the film? She was married to uh, a fairly famous movie producer called uh, David O. Selznick. Oh, all right. <laughs> fairly yeah. famous. Which well. kind, of, uh, <laughs> kind of might help you get a role. Not that I'm saying she wasn't any good. She was. She was very good. But um, Asian? Ch- oh. Chinese? Mm, no. Yeah, I know. I, I think I've, I've seen the film, but I have seen a screen grab of her mm. as as the character that she plays in the film mm. because she plays she plays a what is it a Chinese doctor or something? That's right, exactly. Yeah, she plays a Chinese doctor. And I saw a picture of saw a picture of her, and I thought, oh dear, Hollywood, mm-hmm. <laughs> Hollywood. The, what decade was this? The forties or the fifties? Fifty five. Fifty five. Middle of the fifties, but it, it was set in in nineteen forty nine. I think the story itself. Oh, they just they well they didn't think that Chinese people get on to could would play well on camera. Or something I didn't. I don't. Well, there kind of weren't many people that they that they were willing to put up there in, as a lead role in a film like that. You know, they they, they had um, there was a few Japanese, a few Japanese actors and actresses around that time that they put in occasional roles, but certainly not lead roles. Yeah, there was. Um, I was just talking to Joe then. I think there's a film called The Inn of the Sixth Happiness. Yeah, uh, right. and I think that's um, got George, Kurt Jurgen's uh, playing a. Chinese general, isn't it? Is it is it Kurt Jurgens? <laughs> I thought I, I, I was mistaken. I thought it was um, George Sanders, but no, it's Kurt Jurgens. Is it? Yeah, yeah it's German. Kurt Jurgens, you're right. A yeah. tall blonde he's German, German, and he's playing, playing a Chinese. Chinese general. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you can but then look. you've got a very tall Swede playing a, a little Cockney woman. You know, the real Gladys <laughs> Elwood from then is she was only like five foot tall and black haired, so she was nothing like Ingrid Bergman. Oh, good. <laughs> but that we digress. That's not love is a many splendid yeah, thing. Well, no, but <laughs> if you can look past the fact that Jennifer Jones is playing Doctor Han Su Yin, <laughs> then you, then there's a, a absolutely beautiful romantic film there which will tear your heart out when you watch it. It's um, it's very. Uh, it's very touching. Is yeah, it? after it, I was reading the synopsis of the story, and I, I was thinking, oh, this this would be a this would be a, a real tearjerker. Yeah. Well, considering when I <laughs> the first time I saw it, I was here in England, and my wife, who is Chinese, was stuck in China, and we didn't see each other for, for three years. So that whole idea of loss between two people in different countries and and, and not, not being able to see them for a long time, and it was very real. It felt very real, and that could be why the film. Uh, spoke to me perhaps more than others but I, I still think it's a, a incredibly romantic film so the guy uh, played by William Holdman chap, chap called Mark Elliott who's an American war correspondent living in Hong Kong um, and this was during the days uh, the end of the Chinese Civil War and he sort of meets uh, this this beautiful doctor uh, who to be fair she, she is supposed to be half Chinese she's not supposed to be completely Chinese and that's a plot point okay um, 
uh, who's the widow of one of the generals uh, fighting for the nationalists over in China. They fall in love, um, but not everyone necessarily thinks that they should be together because they're from different places and people are generally uh, not very accepting of that then uh, and uh, also now sometimes. Um, Mm. And uh, it's that whole cross-cultural relationship which was absolutely fine for them that other people disagree with. And I'm not going to ruin the ending for anyone, but it's not the happiest of endings. Oh. No. Well, yeah, it is, it's one of those films, because like, I, I read the synopsis and it says, like, essentially what you just said. And I think the synopsis on Wikipedia ends with something like, and the film follows them as they correspond mostly through letters or something like that. Yeah. So and, that, yeah. and I just kind of thought, this is not going to end well. No. Well, think <laughs> about not... poor old Joe sat at home, three years having not seen his wife, having just written a letter to her, watching a film where they write letters to each other, and then the ending happens. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah, I know, and I, I took me a long time to get over that. Well, I can just imagine. Well, so, what, did you just end up like? Okay, that's it. Buying the next flight to China. Go. I'm going. Put it this way: I loaded Skype up very quickly soon after. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So, okay, going away from it. What about this romance? Tell me about the. Talk to me about the romance because, um, the when I hear the when I hear the song when I hear that kind of stuff, it puts me in the mind of like a so from here to eternity type story and everything like that. Yeah. But, so yeah, so what's so great about this romance that makes you pick it out of everything else apart from obviously the personal connection? Uh, it's just um, two people that want to be together, and and everything else is in the way, and and that's often often the thing. It's struggling through, even when it's not easy, even when the world is sort of conspiring against you, and the people around you are, are, are dissuading you from doing what you want to, and war is happening, and people are being re- uh, uh, sort of. Um, moved to other places because of their work and it's almost like everything's conspiring against you being with the person you want to be and yet you battle on and you you uh, you know you follow your heart you stay with them and you do what you what you think is right and that's obviously romantic and that that happens in a lot of uh, films and they always work because of that because you can't get in the way of love because it's a many splendid thing that's kind of the point (laughs) so could you put this into a context for me joe please this is before the whole cultural revolution and this Mm. is in that period where the the nationalists and the communists are fighting it out to get who's who runs the country this is this was before the cultural revolution this was before the uh communists decided that they were... So a post for a Second World War, but before the Cultural Revolution. That's right, yeah. yeah, that's right. When the Chinese Civil War itself was sort of coming to an end and people weren't sure quite how the country was, was going to... So they still had, like, the Americans... I'm thinking, why would the American be there still? So the Americans and the other nationals are still have a presence. Well, in... the American... The main character is, is in Hong Kong and he's, he's covering it from Hong Kong. Right, so that's obviously still a British dominion at that yeah, time, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. So they're sort of, like, safe. And there's this whole idea of going back across the border into mainland China and it being a completely different world and you actually do see them go into mainland China and she introduces uh, him to some of her family and you see a completely different sort of a completely different China you know a real China that hadn't been westernized at that point oh yes it was in compared to Hong Kong as as compared to Hong Kong which oh, yeah. yeah which is which at that time wasn't China and today <laughs> is China in in some aspects yeah 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 so, so with that, oh, just just because I'm curious about this, I, I'm, I'm actually I'm really really curious about people playing races that they're not from in like sort of that 1950s era Hollywood. Um, the rest of her family, are they like people dressed up as Chinese people as well? Uh, I think not. I think they're actually Chinese. I, I didn't. I didn't oh. I, um, there's there are certainly some Chinese in. Um, Su, there's a one called Su Yong who's in it. There's uh, Richard Liu. There's there's a few. Yeah, there's a few. You know, actually Chinese or at least actually Asian people 
mm. in there, which is fine. But just they didn't want to, they didn't want to put them in the, the main role. Because some of these portrayals you see on screen, uh, you, you, you're, um, you feel deeply uncomfortable about watching them, don't you? <laughs> because I know with well, I think with Jennifer James, obviously, where she's playing someone who's got sort. of Asian heritage plus yeah, yeah. Western heritage. Yeah. You think, okay, that's an yeah, excuse. They, they, you could you could fudge it a bit. But yeah. some of them, like Mickey, oh, I'm trying to think of Mickey Rooney and like Breakfast yeah. at Tiffany's. They're some of them are just obscene, aren't uh, they? I think I think Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's is probably the nadir. It's probably he's mm. probably like where they yeah. went. Okay, this is this is wrong. Well, we Marlon Brando, Brando did something in Tea House Oh, good lord! That was. Just that's just unwatchable. But then he kind of made up for it in in a really uh, a film that I really like called Sayonara, which is another film from a, from similar sort of era, mm. which was a, a similar story in a way about an American guy who ends up in uh, in Japan, falls in love with a Japanese girl, count, uh, encounters lots and lots of people who are very much trying to persuade him not to be with uh, one of the natives, um, and 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 the similar sort of story unfolds. Um, and he sort of made up for it with that in a way. Oh, is it, isn't that the film that they asked Audrey Hepburn to play a Japanese girl in it and she was like, what the heck? I, yes, I think that could be the one. That could be, uh, I have to say, with Love is a Many Splendid Thing, uh, you never, I never felt that, uncomfort, that discomfort that you feel when you think oh, that person is playing. Because she's supposed to be someone who is of, of mixed heritage. She, mm. she, she, you could imagine possibly that there was some Chinese yeah. in, her, in did, her background. Did John Wayne play Genghis Khan? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he did. I'm fairly, right. I'm fairly certain he did. Or Genghis, right. Genghis Khan or Attila the Hun. I'm sure of it. I put money on it. I think you're <laughs> right. I think he did. I'm kind of what the name of the John film Wayne. is. But... Can you imagine that? <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, there, there's a, there are a couple. There's there's Laurence Olivier as Othello, mm. and and Anthony Hopkins as Othello, which is even worse. <laughs> Sorry, I just brought. I just I just found a picture of John Wayne as Genghis Khan. <laughs> it is Genghis Khan, is it? I was <laughs> right. The year the year after, incidentally, 1956, in a film called The Conqueror. Oh, The Conqueror. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, but I think. Oh good lord! He actually, oh my, he actually looks really, really annoyed with the fact he has to dress up. Like yeah, look that. at that moustache. Sorry, this is radio. It doesn't really work. Because there's this, there's this. You can well, see well, that the we'll filmmakers. It, we'll post it on the Facebook page for yeah, they don't make them like they used to. Because you can see these filmmakers have a desire to explore sort of like the world heritage, yes, and other yes. cultures, but then they sort of mess it up by. Not actually having people from that risk, culture in it. Yeah, they don't want to risk having an actor that no one's going to go and watch. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the thing is, that's the thing. I actually have some sympathy for the filmmakers because I can imagine the filmmaker wanting to go and explore this culture and thinking, oh, we, should, we can cast like you know an actual sort of native Chinese person it, and the studio going, no, no, this is a business. We can't do that. Mm-hmm. Who's going to go watch? We you know, I know Hang Su Ying or something like that. <laughs> it's like no, 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 no. Put somebody else in there. It really is a relatively recent thing where people are more accepting of other cultures in film, aren't they? Because I'm trying to think, is it like Crouching Tiger, do you think, was one of those sort of gateway films where people started thinking, actually, yeah, we don't have to have this westernised, we can actually watch it. Yeah, and then about three years later, it stopped. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, You had had Crouching Tiger, Hero, House of Flying Daggers, and then we're bored of Chinese cinema now. (laughs) I think think Chinese cinema really took a break with, um, I know, Bruce Lee movies, I think. I think that's when they came to the fore. I think that's when they, they yeah, yeah, and then when he and died, they, 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 yeah, stopped. they stopped. Yeah, yeah, kung fu movies came and went with Bruce. Golden Lee, really. Harvest just gave up. Yeah, it's sort of. I suppose it goes in cycles. Isn't it? So you've got the Bruce Lee era, then you've got like Jackie Chan, Jackie the young Jackie Chan, Chan and, yeah. and then you've got like that Chow Young Fat when he suddenly was, yeah, you know, a hot thing in Hollywood, wasn't he, for a while? I yeah. just brought to mind of a film. Have you ever seen a film, Steve McQueen film called The Sand Pebbles? Yes, I have. What a yeah, that's about going up the Yancey, isn't it? That's right. It's a top movie. There's there's that one that that. I always I always get that one not confused with, but when I think of that, I always immediately think of another John Wayne film. Actually, have you seen a John Wayne film about a guy on a boat? That, Is it called uh, Fair Wind or something? 
China or something like that? It, yeah, uh, it's called, it'll come to me, it'll come to uh, Is it Blood Alley? Blood Alley. Blood Alley, have you seen Blood Alley? Uh, Blood Alley, yeah, I think that's one of the. So mine's when they're sailing this. the South China Sea. That's right, and yeah. he's got like an imaginary friend on it that he keeps talking to the whole time. He's <laughs> <laughs> talking to an imaginary friend on his shoulder the whole time. versatile, really, you know, John. Yeah, this it's actually quite a good film, yeah. <laughs> this is all like some sort of weird mashup. It's like, it sounds like Life of Pi mixed with Harvey. With Lauren Bacall. <laughs> 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 all right all right cool good stuff uh, uh, anyway thanks a lot for that joe it's now time for uh the first clue in our quiz so what happens is each week uh, joe comes up with a couple of clues of a movie legend and as he mentions this clues as we go along the show we try and figure out who it is before the show ends do feel free to um do feel free to listen along and if you're listening on soundcloud you can actually make comments at which point you figured out who it is and please remember no cheating right Joe, what is our first clue today? <laughs> okay, this one's going to throw you. Okay, in their later years, when asked for their autograph, this screen legend would often sign their name Dolores Del Rio instead of their actual name. Dolores Del Rio was a Mexican actress from the 20s and 30s. Uh, when once asked why they did this, they replied in complete seriousness, I promised her on her deathbed that I would do what I could to keep her name alive. <laughs> I like that Dolores Del Rio who would Dolores have signed who yeah. would have signed their name Dolores Del Rio I have I I'm have. not even sure that it's a woman oh, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's a woman I don't think it's a woman I think it's a guy I, I, I do have somebody in mind who did things like that and seemed to have quite well borderline contempt for the public so okay. it's not about me though is it come on <laughs> uh, Yes, yeah, so, okay, cool. That's a good one. That's a good one. We shall come back and we shall finish those off. Um, cool. Good good start for that. And now, uh, on Fridays, if you're in the hospital on Fridays, you might, or oh, especially in Alveston Ward, you might catch me skulking around with a little recording device looking for people to ask two questions. One, what is the? tell us the story of the first time you went to the cinema. And two, what's your favorite movie of all time? Today, I bumped into Joan in Alveston, who, unfortunately for us, but fortunately for her, has left the hospital and gone home. But before she left, she told me something about her first ever experience in the cinema. And this is what she said. Oh, you would. We were all children, and they had Saturday morning cinema. There was Flash Gordon. Um, I'm trying to think. A cowboy one. And always a cartoon with um, rabbit, you know, the rabbit and the hair and that sort of thing. Um, and if it broke down, which it sometimes did, we all used to stamp our feet and clap until obviously the reel had broken, I realise now. So, yeah, and that was every Saturday morning. It would probably have been late 40, or like late 40s, perhaps 47, 48. And all the children went, um, and it, I think it was six pence in old money then, for the whole morning. It was in the Commodore Inn ride, which is probably, I don't know if it's still there, but it's, I don't think it's a cinema anymore. I think it's still a cinema. Is it? It was called the Commodore. Yeah. And uh, that's the one that did the Saturday morning pictures for the children. So I think our mother was quite pleased to give us all our sixpence and um, be free of us for the whole morning. And we loved it. So, uh, that was about it. That's the first time I ever went. I love all those old stories. I seriously, seriously love stories about 
people going to the cinema on Saturday mornings and kids throwing things and it being unruly and all that kind of and stuff. That poor projectionist who was trying to quickly fix <laughs> yeah. the reel and the whole room yeah, yeah, stamping yeah, yeah. their feet, clapping their hands and howling out of control. That I poor know. guy. Well, they're waiting for Hopalong Cassidy or whatever it was to come back on. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. She couldn't remember what the cowboy thing was. I thought that you would know that, Sean. What's this? Sorry. Sorry. She was she was talking about like uh, there was a cereal with a cowboy who was something Cassidy, but it wasn't Butch. You think it was Hopalong Cassidy? There was a Hopalong Cassidy, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Hopalong Cassidy. Good stuff. Well, well, for Joan and uh, for this, uh, we're going to go a little bit of a sort of merry walk. We're going to play a little bit of a Flash medley because Flash Gordon is one of these characters that keeps coming back time and time again throughout the decades. And uh, we have uh, a Flash music. So what you're going to hear is some is the intro Flash music from the 1938 movie, The Deadly Ray for Mars, mm-hmm. the 1966 compilation from Flash Gordon Conquers the Universe, and uh, both of these which starred Buster Crab as Flash Gordon, and the third being probably the most famous Flash, Flash Gordon from 1980 with Sam Jones and Queen. Enjoy. Flash, I love you. Gordon we only have fourteen hours to save the Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's, that's one of the best bits in it. Send back War Rocket Ajax to bring back his body. I always remember when uh, Brian Blessed was and have I got news for you, and Gordon Brown had just sort of got through the election. He's like, Gordon's alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. He was brilliant on that. Wasn't he? he was. That he was, was so good. That, that'll he go down in history show. as one of the greatest <laughs> episodes of Have I Got News for You ever. Yeah, brilliant <laughs> stuff. Yeah, these Saturday morning serials. Um, were really really popular that's all my dad used to talk about was cornflakes yeah, and yeah. things like that Flash Gordon but I think Sorry. I mentioned this on one of our earlier shows yep yep my dad for ages used to say to me oh, I saw this film Tarzan and the Green Goddess Tarzan and the Green Goddess and I can never I find it and that originally was a serial I sort of researched it a little bit and originally it was a Saturday morning serial Oh yeah, and they made it into into a film they sort of put it all together to make it make a film so you had like the big Tarzan films you had oh Flash Flash Gordon Buck Rogers with yeah, old Buster yeah. Crab. Yeah, which I think in the the, the later Flash Gordon film, they actually uh, the spacecraft and lots of other things were were really based on that. It was like a real homage, I think, to Flash Gordon. Or well, to the to the original sort the original, of like thirty yeah, yeah. serials. Yeah, well, because definitely. I think it, it's it's one of those things where Flash Gordon seems to have been very very influential. Because I know like um, people like Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, even when they came to like Star Wars and Indiana Jones, they were hi- highly influenced by that. By the sort of like the sort of Saturday morning serial thing, um, yeah. But nowadays, when you think about Flash Gordon, I think mainly the nineteen eighties <laughs> version of sort of yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. eclipsed it. It's become this sort of like kish camp <laughs> icon, so yeah, to yeah, say. Yeah. But originally, it was it was supposed to be quite like you know sort of boys and adventure kind adventure. of thing. Yeah, that's it, really. And of course, it would always be left on a cliffhanger. I think that's where the word cliffhanger comes from, because generally it would be someone dangling, so, somebody, somebody, cliff. somebody hanging off a cliff. Yeah, someone's <laughs> hanging off a cliff, and and I think from the Saturday morning series. That's how they'd leave it, and yeah. then suddenly they'd be set. Or there'd be someone that's about to get run over by a train, and it would like. And they have to wait for next thrilling instalment. Of... It's like come back next yeah. week. Come and back. then when we'll you do come back survive. next week, they just roll over and they, the train goes yeah, by. They do, yeah, they It's yeah. something really. <laughs> it's a really easy way out. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> so. But I mean, it must have been good fun from. I mean, go with your mates if you think, because there was really no other entertainment, was there? I mean, well, yeah, so, we did a Saturday morning go. Yeah, yeah it's. He used to tell me they were packed because in those days you had a circle, you had the stalls in the circle, and I think the 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 stalls were like three d or something, three pence, and the, mm. the, if you wanted to go in the circle. Uh, which was was a sixpence, and if you had sixpence, you could actually go in the circle and throw popcorn and stuff yeah. down on the ones below, <laughs> oh, and not. They'd be, so um, it must have been quite a riot as well, I would think. But, but it was good fun. Yeah, I was, I said it before, but I think when I, when I hear about this, I I see where you know Saturday mornings key, TV kids kids shows yeah. where they're in the studio and it's all and they all gunking each other and stuff. I'm like, oh, I see where those come from. Like they're they're essentially trying to recreate that cinema in the thing. Well, when I was when I was when I was young on Christmas time on. TV, they used to show them on TV mm-hmm. as serials. I mean, Flash Gordon was on all the time. You know, you'd have it like you'd, all the yeah, way through the holidays. Especially the Christmas holidays, I remember. You'd, mm. you'd just get up 10 o'clock, Flash yeah. Gordon, and they'd show like the half an hour, and then it'd be, oh, next day, Flash Gordon. Yeah. Those yeah. of us of a certain age remember when television was only on in the summer, like <laughs> oh, yeah, school yeah, yeah, holidays. Yeah. Finish at 12, <laughs> in the three stations. <laughs> Three stations. And yeah, you had things like the Flashing Blade, which was really badly yeah, dubbed. Right. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really for the coronation, didn't Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> do, 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 do. Did you ever see Robinson Crusoe? No. Let's go back to the Flashing Blade. Why was it badly dubbed? What oh, was it originally brilliant. in? I don't know what language it was originally filmed in, but it was like it was a French um, film. So on the French takes place in the um, like the, the Louis the Fourteenth type yeah, era. There. All right. I could even sing you the song if you wanted. Go ahead. You've got to fight for what you want for all the <laughs> And it was that's how it started off and there was a guy. And they were like galloping across horses. Think yeah. of pole dark, but it's like with wigs and curly feathers in your hat and but it's always galloping somewhere. They're always on a horse riding somewhere and then they get there and they have a sword fight and then they ride back somewhere. Oh, brilliant. I used, to, I used to love that. That was just like excellent. You should check them out on YouTube. Then Robinson Crusoe especially. Robinson Crusoe, that was a French, West German Yeah, it was, it was all badly dubbed so none of the lips matched but yeah. we didn't care when you were born in that the 70s. Be, yeah. <laughs> that, sounds, that, that, sounds, that sounds extremely brilliant. That's, yeah, yeah. That, just, that just sounds like fun. It was. The flashing blade is great. Really. I think I just want to, that's right. simplicity in the form. Ride a horse, charge somewhere, have a sword fight, ride back home, end of episode. Yeah. Boom. That was it. That was it. <laughs> Yeah, there's loads of fighting in that. I used to, that was like one of my top films. And, and you had Robin Hood and William Tell as well. Yeah. Robin well, Hood all, with all Richard the, Green. All the <laughs> Robin Hood, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and the other thing about it is also the, with the, with the, the thing with... Because oh, we were talking about Westerns and we're talking about things like this. And we're talking about the... You know, Sharon and I were talking about the early... The two scores that we heard of the the of the Flash series in the Flash th- Gordon, yeah. yeah, the Flash Gordon series in the thirties, that they actually come across really much like westerns. Like they don't sound particularly sci-fi or anything like that. It just sounds like kind of like oh, yeah, pretty standard music, I think. But then it was, I mean, if you look when in in the seventies when they had like Land of the Giants and um, the Time Tunnel and all those, it was all seventies music, and like yeah. the synthesizers were just coming in, and it was like oh, you know synthesized music and it was nearly all the same I think a producer in the 70s Irwin Allen that might have been made the towering inferno bit of a legend that guy um, and, and he used to make all these TV programs the yeah. time tunnel yeah. and I remember Lost I saw, in Space I saw it recently Lost in Space do 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 which was made into a film um, oh this is great stuff yeah yeah um, <laughs> Oh, it's all coming up. I'm gonna to have to look at some of these. I remember this this particular one, the time tunnel. Yeah. It was like it was out in the the Nevada desert, um, and they used to. It was like a 
big circular pipe thing and they used to go in they go like back to Roman times and all it's that. like but a yeah. quantum leap type yeah, thing isn't but it but you go back in time, back oh, in time yeah. and they live and when in I there. saw it as a kid I imagined when I imagined the desert opening it was like I imagined it as a huge monster sort of opening but yeah. when I watched it recently or when I watched it the last time I watched it it's like a little tiny <laughs> tiny opening you know so it just shows you how your mind can mind perceive place. different things oh, yeah film it's all psychological mm. it's all but psychological. all those tunes there like, Joe did you you must have if you catch any of them in the reruns you know Land of the Giants obviously oh, Land, of the, space. Land of the Giants uh, I used to watch man, for me it was Hulk Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea program, oh, yeah. programs like that uh, I like Land of the Giants I liked um uh, then, then they kind of started to try and do it again with things like Space Precinct and stuff yeah. later on, but it didn't didn't quite have the same. Doesn't vo- quite work. Voyage to the bottom of the sea. Every week, there's, there's something would happen to the submarine, and it would like like the go from one side of the submarine to the other, everybody <laughs> would fall about. Well, yeah. is, is it the, the whole Star Trek Star Yeah, Trek exactly effect. right. Shake yeah. the camera a bit, <laughs> and everybody run to the left. Yeah, yeah. Now run to the right. <laughs> now back to the left. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that and was that was a great time. You always get those depth charges that like beep, 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 where they're trying to do like the sounding when they're. In the bottom of the sea. What show, what show was that? Anything involving a submarine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. have the... <laughs> oh, there's a great... If anyone wants to check it out, there was a great thing called um, Garrison's Gorillas. Oh, yeah. About, you know, as in... It was a Second World War war film when they were like like the A-team, basically, in the Second World War and they used to go around and do all these missions and... Don't you know. forget the original Planet of the Apes, either, the serial of that. That was yeah. just... That would that would have been nineteen seventy. Yeah, no, I was, like, I, think, I, think. I was thinking that sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> but that was Sunday. I remember that was. I used to have that Sunday. fear and dread before you used to go to school. I remember. I was thinking, oh no, when Planet of the Apes come on, I think which was about five o'clock. I was thinking, oh no, I've got to have my bath and get ready, and I'm going to go to school tomorrow. So <laughs> that's, that's what that's put him off having bars. put you off yeah, having yeah, bars. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, cool. Thanks a lot. Uh, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. If you ever do hear this, um, for for suggesting that and taking us down on a little bit of a nostalgic nostalgic trip yeah. which is what this show is all about thank you so much now joe it's time for us to conclude okay hopefully the one the first clue didn't uh, throw people too many uh, too many people off the second clue is a, a quote from the screen legend themselves so see if you can imagine if you have someone in mind see if you can imagine them saying this i don't play monsters i play men besieged by fate and out for revenge. Ah. It's a okay. bloke then. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. It's a man. That's as far as I've got. I'm thinking, I'm thinking universal. I'm thinking yeah, universal you guys are the same as me. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, thinking universal creature features. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should think so. It's <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah, whatever, Joe. You can... <laughs> I know <laughs> you the could answer. be wrong. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. got it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. We will be back with at least two more clues. But now moving on to a second choice of the of the week. And um, I was actually thinking, I was telling, uh, I know today is VE Day and um, I couldn't think of anything clever to say about that or anything like that. But thinking back on the last couple of weeks, we seem to have been building towards this because we've been talking about a lot of Second World War movies. I mean, we had like Dunkirk last week and all that kind of stuff. And this week, Sean, what have you picked for us? Okay, well, this week we, we're in a different theatre of war. Um, the film I've chosen is Tora, Tora, Tora. And it's basically the attack on Pearl Harbour. So um, that's, that's, that's basically the story. That's the synopsis of the film. But what's great about this film is it's, it's, it's taken from both, both viewpoints, from the Japanese and from the American viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's really, in my opinion, the actual... Um, planes are the, the the planes are quite authentic. You know, they're mm-hmm. really, really authentic planes. Yeah. 
and it's some great story and it's a story about our miscommunications with the uh, with the Americans, they got it all mixed up. You know, people saying, oh, something's going on. No, that's the flight of B-27s coming in, or B-17s coming in. Oh, no. Anyway, so there's all that. But on the Japanese side, and there's a great, it's just like, obviously subtitled, which I think yeah. is great. I mean, I, I think that makes a film, because rather, yeah. when you look at Midway, which was a bit later, the Japanese were, were, we're, were speaking talking English. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, English, sorry. Yeah, I should say, you know, American. <laughs> But um, no, no, there's a definite difference. Yeah, there is. There is. <laughs> You're right. So, but, but there's some great moments in this film, um, and a couple of bits I particular. There's one bit where there's like a training aircraft. There's a lady in a training aircraft, mm -hmm. and she's um, sort of just flying, flying along, and then all of a sudden, all these Japanese planes appear, and she looks around, and she, the guy she's training, and she says, uh, "I'm going to take over now," and she actually peels off and, and goes away. Now. I know some people say, oh, well, surely they would have shot her down, shot her down. Mm. But, I mean, the planes she was with were torpedo planes and bombers, so probably not fighters. Yeah. But they did actually, when, when you research it, that was a, there was a case, but they actually shot the, the plane up when, when that, it landed. Was that the bit with Cuba Gooding Jr.? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, Red Tails. Yeah. That's a whole different theatre. That's yeah. like Mustangs and, and, yeah. Just something you touched on at the start, showing it from two different uh, sort of perspectives. Uh, that hasn't really been done since, it, it, effectively, except possibly for Clint Eastwood's sort of two films that he yeah. made. They're the two I was thinking of. Flatties yeah. of Our Fathers mm. and the Iwo Jima yeah. movie. That, I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's going out of your way to show it from two yeah. different perspectives. It, apart from that, it tends to get... Yeah, I, I was actually... I was Because I remember catching Toro 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 on, on TV once, <clears> and I was surprised that a film that was made... Because what, what year was this made in? Uh, it was about 67, wasn't it? it was, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but uh, uh, um, I, was, I was kind of thinking, oh, because I was like... Oh, 70, 1970. 1970. Yeah. yeah. So I guess like, it, it's... Because for me, I was just thinking oh, it's an older movie, mm. but it's an older movie that's trying to show this balance to mm. the thing. And I was I was really, really impressed with that. And uh, I know Joe just made, some, made a crack about Cuba Gooding Jr. referring to Pearl Harbor. The movie Pearl Harbor, oh, yeah, which is, Pearl Harbor. Oh, which, yeah, which is uh, and, and unfortunately, whenever you talk about, I, for, it, I forgot he was in that one. Well, the thing is, whenever you talk about uh, like you know the uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor and everything like that, that film obviously is, is put it in the name is going to come. And I think whenever you talk about Toro Toro Toro, there's just like a straight up comparison between these two films because they try and focus on the on essentially the same attack over the sort of same time period, but. I know we bash we, we we do a lot of modern or post 1980s film bashing on this show and especially we do a lot of remake bashing <laughs> on this show but I'm sorry but I think when it comes to Pearl Harbor it's totally totally justified to bash this film especially when you have it compared to Toro 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 which mm. I just think is by far a superior film definitely uh, yeah, I think uh, it's one of those ones it takes its time to tell the story doesn't it yeah. Yeah. they have a tendency in the past to make war films you know like 90 minutes long and with Tora 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 because you get those both sides of the story the attack doesn't actually happen for about an hour and a half into the film or something yeah. you get to see the unfolding that this all the, wasn't all the just politics uh, behind the yeah. thing and what's yeah. happening because I mean the actual Yamoto the, the general he didn't he said look because he studied in Japan he was it he, he studied in America yeah. at an American university and he said we you know I think at the end of the film there's where he says I have, I fear we have we have a walk in a sleeping giant yeah I remember that and and they missed the carriers um, another it's funny comparisons of films how they do modern day because I always often think of there's an old 
50s film, A Night to Remember, about the yeah. Titanic. Oh, yeah, 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 remember yeah, yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. With some of the shots. I mean, Cameron, obviously, and, Titanic's Titanic, but some uh, of the shots are exactly the same. Yeah, but but, but what I mean Even is... some of is, the character is, moments is, are exactly the same. Yeah, the Titanic, the, the you know DiCaprio thing. I mean, when you compare them, I mean, you've got in... Uh, a night to remember all the British officers are all like you know real stuff upper class women children first all, da, da. and yet you look at Titanic and I think the captain shoots himself doesn't he it's, 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 not, it's not, not the captain it's not the captain. captain somebody it's, officer it's some, it's some random officer who is it who I think because he he shoots, he shoots somebody he shoots somebody trying to climb into a boat that yeah. shouldn't be and he and, and then he shoots himself I'm, I'm, yeah and then he shoots himself yeah and it's like yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. That's another one. That, that, sorry, <laughs> sorry, people. I know well, that people okay, love okay. that. Okay, speaking about this, because <laughs> I, I think okay. Well, you know what you said about how the it takes on about an hour and a half for the attack to actually happen in Toro yeah. Toro Toro, and I feel like in Pearl Harbor they were trying to mimic this because Pearl Harbor is like it's all it's, about the love story, which it's, just it's, drives it's you a mad. Three, it's it's a three-hour it? movie. The second hour, the second hour of the film is the attack on Pearl Harbor. But then the first, the first and the first and the third hours are rubbish because instead of when Toro 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 they go, let's tell you about how this actually happened, about the machination, about the mm-hmm. um, about the motivations of the different people and why this actually happened. In Pearl Harbor, they just went, oh, let's tell you a love story. Story, yeah. Which was Ben Affleck and Josh Hartnett around yeah. walking yeah. around in vests with sunsets behind them. Exactly. And, and there was, there was, there was, chasing there was, after Kate Beckinsale. If you're not involved, and she uh, ended up of, with the wrong one. Uh, 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 okay. <laughs> Sharon, you're kind of like reading our point here. <laughs> if you're not invested in it, then you're not invested in what happens afterwards, and that was the, that was the problem. You don't you don't it's, feel anything from the too little. Yeah. I, I tell you, this this amazes me. This film. Now, all right, okay, I can understand Pearl some. Harbor, no, Pearl, Pearl Harbor is just like this. This really really spoke for me. And I Joe says, well, it's poetic license, but it's ridiculous poetic license. He starts off. I don't know which one it is. Flying across the channel and he gets shot down, doesn't he? He's ben flying Affleck, in. He's, right. he's in the Eagle Squadron, which was a uh, American pilots. That, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. Fought. So he flies there. Other Americans didn't like that. They didn't like them. These, these Americans. And he turns up on the eve. Of, what a marvelous thing! He turns up on the eve of Pearl Harbor, just as it's all happening, ready to fly a, a P forty <laughs> to get in there. And then, so he's a fighter pilot. We got this nudges down. Anyway, and at the end, he's on an aircraft carrier in a B seventeen bomber on the Doolittle raid. <laughs> well, fighter bom- fighter pilots and and bomber pilots were just totally. So it's just a uh, you know ridiculous. But Sorry, then he, but then he. He kind of got punished for this poetic license, didn't he? Did he? Well, <laughs> explain. He died. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I suppose the wrong one died. Okay. Oh, I think we're going to be talking at cross purposes. But yeah, yeah. Tora, 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 though. <laughs> going back to Tora, Tora, Tora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, Thanks, James. I think you do. You get those human stories, but they don't dominate it. They do don't they? take over everything. You yeah. get inve- you, you meet people you want to find out what happens to them so you do follow them through the mm. events of the day so you have that way into the film without making it just a saccharine mess. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, 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 and that's I, exactly what Pearl Harbor became. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you relate to some of the Chinese uh, Japanese characters. Yeah. Uh, you relate to some of the Japanese characters as well and especially there's one pilot I think I can't remember he's, he's, he's a captain he's a pilot and I just relate to him I thought oh he's just really you know, he's a he's a bit gung ho, but all all these men love him and everything. And and you, you almost really feel as well for like the Japanese government because they send this delegation, don't they, to meet with the ambassador? Oh, the two ambassadors, to yeah, the two Japanese ambassadors, and this all, all arrives late, and they're sat in the office because they're waiting for something to translate mm. it or something, That's aren't they? Right. And it just delays, and so they so, don't get the ultimatum till after the attack. So mm. it looks like an unprovoked attack when uh, they were. Yeah, and then they go in to see the like, American oh. American um, <laughs> ambassador or whatever, and and. He just he says I never in the you know and they just feel really re- you can see they feel really really bad mm. and then also there's a scene because I mean after Pearl Harbor they they sort of imprisoned a lot of Japanese people didn't they in Hawaii yeah, and everything yeah. yeah they did 
Um, I'm trying to think what the term is. And there's a scene where he goes into a post office. There's like a Japanese lad with with, with a letter and he goes into the post office and the guy... That the post office sort of looks at, looks at him, you know, and you just Suspicious know that oh, it's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Bit of trivia. You know who directed the film? Anyone? Uh, Richard Fleischer. It was Richard Fleischer. Yeah, I was thinking Fleischer. Yeah. He, he directed all the US stuff. Anyone, anyone know who directed the Japanese stuff? <laughs> Akira Kurosawa. No. Ooh. Kinji Fukasa. It was. It was Kinji Fukasa. <laughs> yeah, only because I got it in front of me. <laughs> and, uh, joke. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known. I've got to be honest there. Oh. I didn't sure, I'm that very good. impressed by that. Oh. I'll be even more impressed if you can tell me what very famous Japanese film Kinji Fukasa directed. Mm. You've seen it. You like it. And he's oh. checking the internet right now. To find no, 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 no. I can't get the internet because I can't get it. <laughs> so, I, I, um, school I don't kids know. School on an island. Battle Royale. Oh, he did. He directed Battle Royale. Did he? Oh, what wow. It? Mm, well, there, there you go. go. See, I didn't know. If that. you can direct, you can direct, right? You can. Yeah, there, definitely. Definitely. But, okay, well, we're going to. Because I think one of the things that the. I think the only. If we're going to compare these two films, the only bit that I think Pearl Harbor might be able to actually sort of like take a fight to Tora 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 is on the actual attack itself. Okay. Because obviously you had better better mm. technology and everything like that by the time of the Pearl Harbor. And I remember that they, I, the second hour of this film, I, I actually quite like the second hour of Pearl Harbor. And there's one particular show that they have where they show, they follow a bomb all the way from its loading bay deck, all yeah. the way down to when it hits the yeah. deck and goes through the different decks of the th- and then it yeah. lands and it doesn't blow up immediately. And I just I just thought that was amazing. And then three that's, seconds that's, later, the that's, ship that's, lurches out of the water and the whole thing breaks in half. It's, yeah. It's, it's incredible, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's the only bit I remember. Yeah, yeah. But that was, it was in the trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, could yeah. have just seen the trailer. <laughs> no, but uh, I think, honestly, the, but that's the only, that's second hour. But I think also the attack in Toro Toro Toro, I just think it's a filmmaking masterclass. It is, it really is. Because, I mean, it's actual, you know, it's proper aircraft, no CGI. Yeah, there's there's no CGI, and I still don't know how they did some of those shots, because there's one shot that sticks in my mind of where there's a soldier on the ground, and it's this kind of shot where he's looking up, and the camera sort of pans around with him, and it stays on him, and you see this fly, you see this plane go off into the distance, boat, yeah. and as it flies off, you see it drop the bomb, and this is only one shot, and then it lands on a building and blows up this building in the distance. I'm just kind of like... Have, have you seen the bit where the, the, there's a little bit where on the airfield all, all the American aircraft are all lined up and, and the Japanese come in to bomb it and I don't know if it's real or not but it's worth a look and um, there's a guy actually scrambling on all fours after a big explosion it looks like he's tripped over it yeah. genuinely you know it doesn't look it doesn't look acted it looked like he's genuinely trying to get trying away to get from away this from trying, trying to get away from the stuff you just put that in the film definitely. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so they kept that because it looked see. good yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a great bit when a plane's trying to take off and it just careers into all there's just some great moments in it yeah. and, yeah. you know and it's no CGI no and is there a bit with one of the is it a cook or one of the ships or something and he's he mans one of the guns the gun has been yeah. killed and then That's he just Cuba grabs Gooding the Jr. gun yeah. from, from Pearl Harbor <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it is yeah, okay, well, yeah, we'll yeah, oh is that right obviously they've just copied that bit from Toro Toro then but then he's like shows like yeah I'm gonna fight for my country that was a real guy that was an actual story that was that was absolutely what happened he got awarded the medal because he took down a couple of planes stepped up to the task and took down a couple of planes in the heat of the moment yeah so Third time, time for third clue, Joe. I was just going to do my best Chris Tarrant impression there. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so this screen legend, some of you saying you think it might actually be a man, despite the fact that they signed their name Dolores uh, Del Rio. If it is, then this should hopefully sort of point you in a certain direction. This screen legend was the visual inspiration for the original illustration of the comic book superhero, Doctor Strange. 
which was created in 1963. Benedict Cumberbatch, as some of you may know, has just been cast as the character Doctor Strange. Mm. So which screen legend actually inspired the look of the original Doctor Strange? Yep, yep. I think I have an answer. Yeah, that's throwing me again. He always does this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I literally only do it just, just, just to throw just you. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Joe. Mm. Right, we're we're barreling towards <laughs> the end of the show right here, and uh, we always have. Well, we have a feature on the show called I Love Movies, where we talk about the times when Hollywood has brushed the island, though the Isle of Wight. Sharon usually picks this film for us. And Sharon, what film do you have for us this week? Yeah, I've leapt forward in time to 2011. And this is a film called Wild Bill that was directed by Dexter Fletcher. And it's about a chap played by Charlie Creed Miles, who at the beginning of the film is released from prison. And you see him walking out through the prison gates and then clanging shut behind him. And then you see him walking along the military road. <laughs> and then getting We've on a white yeah. <laughs> And then getting on a white link ferry and then you see him pulling out across the Solent on a white link ferry. And so the opening scenes of this film were filmed on the Isle of Wight. Oh Hooray. cool. So he got released from let's say Parkhurst or something. Is it like implied? That? Is it actually sort of said that it's Parkhurst or is that just no, implied? No, it's just implied. It doesn't right. give you the name of HMP anything but anyone that knows anything about like England would assume if he's on that ferry he's probably come from Parkhurst he's come from Parkhurst yeah Yeah. or as it's called now the last couple of years they renamed all the prisons to HMP Isle of Wight yeah they shut down one of them yeah shut down Camp Hill then they merged the other two and it's yeah just HMP Isle of Wight so So it is yeah set you see and it is recognisable the bits you see you think hang on a minute that looks a bit like so so he, he gets released from prison and then he decides to take a little bit of a detour, go down to the south of the island and yeah, have a look at the sea. Go from, yeah, because we look at it and go, why would you go from Parkhurst <laughs> or Albany, walk to the to the, the military road to get on the ferry to Yarmouth? It's like, and that's not the best route of taking it. Uh, it's, most, it's pretty. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. He took the scenic route because from what I understand in the film, the rest of the film is not particularly, it's it's not particularly easy for him. So maybe he just wanted a nice little bit of serenity yeah. before the whole thing kicked off. Yeah, that journey back to what for him is normality, which is the inner city skyscrapers yeah. in London. Well, so you, you told me, well, th- this film actually got quite a few good reviews, but I mean, you were t- saying how you went into IMDb and you found like a whole list of films that were, f- well, films that were filmed on the island or yes. bits of them were filmed on the island. And you were complaining that there's not a lot of good ones in there. There are not many good ones, no. Yeah. They, they, the, the island has been used a lot for cinema. And there is a film I'm saving in my pocket for later, so I won't reveal what it okay, is. Okay, okay, good. But there's, yeah, a lot of it is tat. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I make a request? If, if you're if you're an Isle of Wight film historian, can you look into a certain film and can we do a feature on that? Yeah. Can you look into a film called Endless Night? Endless Night. I might write that down in my notebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead for that. Go ahead. <laughs> so what I want to do is, Wild Bill, does it fall into the category of most of these things being tat, or is it any better than that? I think Wild Bill's a good film. Well, it's oh. got Sean Pertwee, Andy Serkis, Jason Fleming in. It's got quite a good cast, by the looks of it. It's got a good it. cast. A lot of them pay cameos so that get almost sometimes are against type. Like Andy yeah. Serkis plays like a, this sort of East End gangster type guy. Not a three Who's, foot tall sort of wretch <laughs> like a little, with pale skin. My precious. Yeah. No, he's you know he's got menace and he's got this edge to him in it. Yeah. But basically, it's about this guy, um, Wild Bill. Mm-hmm. He earned this reputation when he was a young man for fighting and brawling and doing all drinking and being a bit bit of a wild guy. Yeah. And he ends up serving eight years in prison for it. Yeah. While he's in prison, though, he's left his wife and his two children behind. 
and when he comes back, he finds his two sons living on their own. Their wife, his mother, their, their mother, his wife, has left them and got fed up with raising these two boys on her own, and she's cleared off. And so one of the main the themes of the, the film is about like that the roles of fathers and sons it's mm. like that you know who's the parent who's the child and about and with the character of wild bill he's grown older but he's never really grown up mm. and it's only when he suddenly he returns to his flat and he sees that his 16 year old son has been taken on the role of a father by raising his younger brother getting a job leaving school doing all those things a father should do that he begins to see in himself that you know he's let his, both of his sons down by yeah. not being a father to them yeah, and so you see him then trying to do the right thing, and but by trying to do the right thing, he ends up in some ways falling back into his old patterns of going back to his old mates and, and the old, that the, old, the old employer and everything yeah, like that. And and what he's in himself, he sees in him, he, he sees his own character reflected in his youngest son. His youngest son started to bunk off school. He's becoming a runner for a local drug dealer. Yeah, and he's beginning to get. A reputation for being a bit of a bad lad, mm. and he's he's seen he sees himself in his youngest boy, and he wants to think, no, what if I, if you carry on down that path, you're going to be me yeah. in thirty years' time. You're going to be the one who's coming out of prison, and you don't know your children. Yeah, and you're this man child. Yeah. you're forty, but you haven't. You, you don't really know. You don't really know because know what it means to be a man. Because I think it's it's quite good because it sounds like one of those sort of Ken Loach kitchen sink dramas. But I think it's directed by Dexter Fletcher, who is probably most well known for Press Gang. He yeah. was in a TV show called Press Gang. And he, he was, directed one of my favourite films of the last couple of years, Sunshine on Leith. Sunshine so on Leith. Excellent film. Yeah, and he think, was in The Elephant Man back in yeah, the day. Yeah, in the day, yeah. He was, he was in Bugsy Malone. Wow. He was babyface in Bugsy Malone. He's been Malone. around a long Band time. Band Brothers, I think he appeared in a yeah. bunch of Yeah, those. I think he, uh, but he, he's actually somebody who I'm really watching as a director because I think he is actually doing quite well. And yeah. Sunshine on Leith was a Scottish musical. I've, uh, I loved it, yeah. It's a good film. But it's well built. It's, it's gritty and it's got humour, as you'd expect, from Dex Fletcher and this cast. It's got... It's great. There's a bar fight in it, which you think they try to glamorize bar fights, but this is like kicking and stamping and biting. It's the East End of London. There's no way they're going to glamorize it. No, and it is a real fight. It's ugly and it's yeah. a bit nasty, but it, yeah, it, it works for me as a film. Cool. Thank you very much, Jared. We shall be checking that out. Wild Bill, Dexter Fletcher, watch this space. And now we don't have that much time. Joe, let's okay. do this thing. Let's get our choices in. Final. Is this final clue or not? Uh, Do we have time? Yeah, final clue. Okay, this screen legend was once on a plane. Uh, a middle-aged woman came up to them and asked them for their autograph. She said, Oh, sir, please, can I have your autograph, Mr. Karloff? Always <laughs> always the perfect gentleman, and not wanting to disappoint her, this screen legend said, Okay, and signed it, Boris Karloff, despite not being Boris Karloff. <laughs> 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 okay, okay. Now this is the thing is because I had two in my head. It was either going to be Karloff or Lugosi. Lugosi, yeah, I was yeah. going to say Lugosi. And uh, so I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, without much, I'm gonna go up, put my neck out, and say Lugosi, Bella Lugosi. I was thinking Long Cheney Junior, but um. <laughs> yeah, I, I was also no, thinking. He's, he's was, laughing. He's laughing. He's laughing. I'm torn. I, I was thinking Long Cheney Junior, but I don't know. Have a clue what he looks like. And Doctor Strange looks a lot more like Bella Lugosi. <laughs> I was than say that's Lon it. Because Boris Karloff, the iconic <laughs> Frankenstein, would be way, way too tall. Yeah, I'm thinking. Whereas, so Lugosi came to me because yeah. I was one of the two actors. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking <laughs> Lugosi. Like so I'm, it's I'm gonna thinking, be. I'm thinking Lugosi as Dracula. 
Bella <laughs> Lugosi as Dracula is it's the best. It's going to be Christopher Lee or someone. I don't know. It's, it's, it, he was our first ever screen legend. He was, yeah. yeah. And I had it, and I had Christopher Lee down all the time until the <laughs> last <laughs> clue when Joe said, oh, yeah, he played some sort of heavy metal band. And I liked it. Like, no, we can do it. <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah, no, Joe, I, I, remember that, I remember that. Okay, okay. I'm going to stick with Bella Lugosi. Me too. It that might, was my first thought. It's probably going to be Christopher Lee, but I'm going to go with Bella Lugosi. <laughs> oh, okay, if I told you that uh, Dr. Strange's name was actually Dr. Stephen Vincent Strange. Oh! Vin- oh! It's Vincent Price! Oh! A surprise! <laughs> okay, okay. You're Trixie. Okay, on that Trixie. note, on that note, we just like to say to everybody in the hospital, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for joining us in our cinema. Um, as you go, well, we hope you all get home soon. We hope you all get onto the cinema. We hope that you all remember that they just do not make them like they used to. Thank you very much.